0: Hey there drone fans, welcome to episode two of the Drone Valley Podcast. In this episode, I'll pass along some cold weather flying tips, I'll help you decide if your drone videos are YouTube worthy, and finally, I'll tackle this episode's burning question, can I bring my drone on a plane while traveling? So stay tuned and we'll get started. Flying in the winter months can be a whole lot of fun, and if you're lucky enough to be up early in a winter morning, just after a new snowfall during that golden hour, you can get some incredibly nice photos and videos from 100 feet up in the air. The challenge with flying in the winter is you've got cold weather, and electronics hates cold weather. Electronics likes moderate temperatures, so when you're flying in cold weather, you've gotta be aware of a few things that may cause you issues if you've never flown before in cold weather. So there really are two things you've gotta be concerned about one of them has to do with the physical impacts of what that cold weather will have on your quad and the second is the electronics because remember you're flying a very sophisticated robot at 100 200 feet up in the air and the electronics will behave differently in cold weather than they do in warm weather so i'll take each of these as separate topics but let's talk about the physical side of it for starters typically in winter weather you're dealing with snow or ice or wet conditions in general so your takeoff and landing is really something you gotta think about. Because in the summer you've got basically dry ground unless you're going out after a rainstorm to fly, and you don't have to worry about it. You can land it on the ground, you can land it in a parking lot, you know, and you're good to go. But in the wintertime, most of those surfaces are covered with ice or snow or at least wet conditions. And your quad coming down on top of that snow could really pose a challenge, especially with a lot of quads nowadays that have very low ground clearance. So they come down really close to the ground. So even using something like leg extensions on them to raise them up an inch or two won't help you if you have to land it in snow. So my recommendation is always, if you're going to fly in the winter, whether you hand catch or not, make sure you bring a landing mat with you because my thought is even if you're a hand launcher and hand catcher, if you have a condition where you've got to land that quad quickly because something happened with the quad in the wintertime because of the cold weather, you don't want to have to try and run over to the quad and grab it. You want to have an alternate landing position where you can put it down if you have to in the snow. So I always carry a landing mat with me for takeoff and landing, and that just guarantees that I've got a nice spot that's visible, that's dry, and it's safe, and I can put my quad back down in that spot and not have it be impacted by the the liquid, you know, water on the ground or the snow. The second thing you've got to be concerned about is that the weather is not consistent as much in the wintertime as it is in the summertime. So for example, you could put the quad up in sort of dark gray skies, you know, where you think it's gonna be clear, fly the thing out, you know, thousand feet, two thousand feet, you're up at two hundred feet in the air, and all of a sudden a fog rolls in or, you know, mist comes in. And that and that can be a problem because that wet moisture gets inside the quad and it can really play you know play the devil with uh, the electronics inside there so if that fog or mist gets inside the quad that moisture is gonna affect that printed circuit board and could definitely affect the electronics which could cause you major problems. so you've got to constantly be checking the weather watching your camera if you see your camera start to get a little bit uh, out of focus possibly that's a pretty good indication you've got liquid up there in the air or the moisture content in the air is pretty high so if you see that come back land the thing dry off your quad and maybe wait a little bit to see if it clears up That can also affect the visibility. A lot of times when you're flying in the winter, again, you get these cloud formations that are different than they are in the summertime because they're based on the amount of moisture in the air. And obviously there's less moisture in the air in the wintertime than there is in the summer just based on the fact that cold air holds less moisture. But you could still have issues with different clouds coming in or different weather patterns that can affect your visibility. So you just have to physically be aware of the fact that There's this all-out assault against your quad in the wintertime between snow and cold and, you know, wet and snowy conditions on the ground that you just have to be aware of. So just be prepared for it. It's not like you can't fly in the winter. I fly all winter. Uh, I just am very careful about the physical conditions to make sure that I protect the physical aspects of my quad. Now let's move on to the electronics. The electronics are a little bit more ticklish because digital circuits don't do well in cold weather it's just a fact that semiconductors and digital circuits in general like a moderate temperature and the colder you get the more challenges come in with those digital circuits and you'll find that any kind of electronics that has to be used in cold weather conditions is typically very well insulated from the elements so if you're operating something in you know very cold temperatures alaska or the arctic or someplace like that you'll find there's a huge insulation barrier between the electronics and the outside And you might even have self-heating equipment inside that type of technology. With quads, you don't have that. So the quad is really designed to be flown in a certain temperature zone that you're probably exceeding on the cold end by flying it during the winter. So you just have to be aware of that. And the things that can affect in general, uh, the biggest one for me, my experience in the field has been battery life. The one thing you'll find out about the battery is that that chemical process that takes place inside that lithium polymer cell gets lazy and unpredictable in the cold weather. So in the summer, you may put a quad up and you're watching your battery meter and you'll fly it out for 1,000 feet and you'll see it be at 70%, then 68%, then 65%. And you can track a pretty linear um, discharge off that battery, which gives you a pretty good prediction of how long you can continue to fly. What I find in the winter is that lipos tend to give you that type of indication on the high end of the charge. What I mean by that is maybe a full charge down to 80 or 70%. But what I find is when I got below 60% a couple of times in the winter, it went from 60 to 40 very, very quickly. And now I'm panicked because I'm almost hitting my return to home threshold. So with the battery life, I would just tell you to, number one, keep a good eye on that battery indicator on your quad to make sure that if you're in that 70 to 50 range, that you're keeping an eye on it at that point because it may all of a sudden you know, drop precipitously, and then you'll have to have a return to home uh, event triggered or you'll have to bring it back and swap out the battery. One other thing I'll tell you which will help you with the batteries is that you want to keep them warm. You want to keep them sort of body temperature if you can help it. So one trick I like to do, and I'll get into this a little at the end, is keep it near your body. Keep them in a pocket. Keep them on an inside pocket on your vest so that you keep them warm. And that way, when you put them in the quad, they're warmer than they would be, and they'll last a little bit longer in the air as they cool off being flown. The next thing you have to concern yourself with are the internal circuits, because you're not only dealing with the temperature at the surface where you're standing when you take off, but the higher you go, it may get much colder the further up you go. And it can happen even in space of 10 feet or 20 feet where the temperature can drop so much that all of a sudden you've got an issue with your quad so you've got to really kind of keep an eye on things with your quad when you're heading up especially to you know altitudes of 300 or 400 feet because there could be dramatically different weather patterns up there which could cool down the electronics and the challenge there is that as I mentioned at the beginning of this conversation you have a very sophisticated robot that you're flying and when that robot is up, you know, 200 feet in the air and it starts to get cold, all of the different circuits inside that robot can be affected by that. So the quad's got GPS positioning systems. that has got visual processing systems to get the stream back to you. It's got telemetry circuitry in there to make sure that it's talking to your remote controller and it's receiving commands and it's executing those commands. You've got compasses in there, you've got IMUs, internal IMUs that keep the quad in position and keep it level. All of those circuits individually have different tolerances for the cold, so you may You know, unfortunately, you may see some of those circuits start to go a little wonky when you're up there in the air. So you've got to be sure that if you're flying it, that you're keeping an eye on the quad, making sure the telemetry data is what you expect. If you see it start to change position, maybe a little bit more than you expect it with your joystick movements, that's a pretty good indication that the quad's getting cold. Might be a good idea to bring it back and land it and, you know, make sure that you're in good shape. The last thing is your device. So, for example, if you're flying this with a standard controller, you're probably using a phone or a tablet. Even though the quad might be okay and the controller might be okay, you have to take into consideration that that phone or tablet is also affected by the cold. So keep an eye on that because I've had a couple of circumstances where it's gotten so cold that a phone's just shut off. Now, that might be a moment for panic because obviously you've lost your, you've lost your visual view from the quad, but remember, the controller's still working. So even though you lose the application or you lose the phone, you still have control of that quad. So what I would suggest, if it's in your visual line of sight, which it should always be, you can bring it back manually and land that. So you can keep an eye on it, spin it around, fly it back to you and land it, you know, visually. You can actually keep an eye on it and land it. If it's out of your visual line of sight because it's behind a tree for a minute or it's behind a building for a minute, you can hit the return to home button. It should elevate to a safe height, find its way back home and land right where you're at. So don't panic if you lose your phone or your tablet, but it's just something you have to be mindful of typically what you'll find is the better case you use, the warmer it'll be. And I'm not a big fan of big clunky cases on my phone, but I find when I go out in the wintertime, I tend to use a little larger case that gives me a little bit of insulated protection against the elements, especially against the wind, because that'll cool off a phone very quickly if you've got a stiff breeze that's cold. Now I'd like to move on to a few tips that I can pass along from the winters that I've flown. And I've done a lot of winter flying. I love putting a quad up, over a snowy landscape, whether the kids are sledding or I'm over a lake that's frozen. It's just a beautiful time of year. And again, if you're lucky enough to catch that morning golden hour or that afternoon golden hour, the sun slanting in the way it does because it's lower in the sky typically, across that beautiful white landscape is just hard to imagine how beautiful that can be. It's just a magnificent view. So I I love flying in the wintertime, but these tips will help you sort of be a little bit safer. So I'd mentioned before about the landing mat. I think that's a no-brainer. I know, again, it's a very politically charged conversation about a hand catcher versus somebody that lands and takes off. Forget the politics for a second. Make sure you have a landing mat with you. I would, just just for safety's sake, bring it, open it up, throw it down in the ground. Even if you don't use it, for me, it's just a great place, almost like a picnic blanket, where I can put it down on the ground. I can land my quad on it, and when I'm not landing my quad on it, I can lay things down there with extra lenses or whatever I happen to have with me. So take the landing mat with you. You'll, you'll thank me for that later on. I'd mentioned before about the batteries getting cold. The batteries are a single point of failure in your quad. Now, what I mean by that is uh, there are only a couple of things that could bring that quad down from the sky. Propellers are one of them, certainly motors are another, but the batteries are one that uh, is a single point of failure that concerns me. Now, they're smart, so it's not like they're going to die and the quad's going to fall out of the sky, but the internal circuitry that keeps track of how that charge is being delivered, how much charge is left, that's an electronic component. So it might misrepresent the charge that's in those batteries, or the lithium polymer batteries themselves can have issues with the cold. They'll slow down in their ability to produce electrons. So the battery is something you got to be aware of. And the trick with the batteries is really to keep them as warm as possible. So as I mentioned earlier in this conversation, I keep them in my inside pockets when I'm walking around. I'll typically leave them in the car until we get to the location we're going to fly. I'll take two or three batteries with me, I'll slide them on inside vest pockets on my jacket to keep them nice and warm and then as I need them I'll pull them out put them in the quad fly and that battery I took out of the quad goes right back into that breast pocket because even though I'm not going to use that battery again to fly that day I don't want that battery getting super cold because uh, lithium polymer is something that can be damaged by extreme temperature so even setting that battery down in the ground can dramatically affect the lithium polymer life so I want to make sure that I keep it at a moderate temperature. All right the next thing I want to talk about are hand warmers. Now this is kind of an interesting thing when I was a kid. Hand warmers used to be sort of like butane-fired things where you you had this fire inside of a little tin can, basically, that you'd light up and then put in your pocket, and it would keep you nice and warm. But somehow the concept of a fire in my pocket always scared me. But nowadays, everybody's gone digital, so you can actually get battery banks that are doubled as a hand warmer. So basically, the battery bank's got some heating coils inside of it, and if you need to, you can turn it on, and typically they have a, a low and a high setting that'll warm up that battery bank. And I've used these for the last couple of winters, and they're flawless, they work great. Now I'll put a link below where you can actually check these things out on Amazon, but they're not that much more expensive than the battery bank, but uh, I like having it with me because if it's a very cold day, I'll slide that inside my jacket, and that tends to keep all the heat inside the jacket and keep those batteries fairly fairly warm and cozy. So a hand warmer's a good idea. And, and now that I'm on the topic of battery banks, I would recommend bringing a battery bank with you, a portable battery bank. Slide it in your front pocket, And then if you need extra power for your controller while you're flying, or you need to top off your phone or something, you'll have it with you. But if you decide to go with one that has the hand warmer built in, you've got the added advantage of keeping your pockets warm. So that's kind of a nice thing to bring along. One thing I will recommend in the winter is around the length of the flight. I would tend to keep the flight shorter than I would normally. So in the summers, or at least in moderate weather, I'll fly till I get down to about 25, 30% of the battery. Then I'll come home because we all want to stay up in the air as long as we can. But the challenge there is if I'm up in the air that long, as I mentioned before, that battery can get somewhat erratic when you get past that 50% depleted mark. So I would say keep your flights short. My rule of thumb is when I'm flying in the wintertime, when I get to 50%, I'm going to start heading for home or at least finishing up the filming that I'm doing and then swap out the battery and go back again. So keep it shorter. I would also recommend bringing along a cloth towel for drying your quad because when you're flying in those kind of conditions you're probably going to pick up some moisture if it's misty out and you want to dry it immediately you don't want anything to dry in that quad so once I land my quad I use a hand towel or a dish towel with me. I keep a couple of them in the car. I'll uh, put the quad down. I'll dry off the blades. I'll dry off the camera. I'll make sure that the body's been dried. And then I'll put a battery in it and put it back up. So take a couple of towels with you. Paper towels work okay, but the problem is they leave fuzz behind. So if you're going to be cleaning your camera, you're cleaning any of the sensitive components exterior on the quad, you're going to have fuzz on there, which probably will get blown off when you're flying. But I find a cloth hand towel works better. The last thing I'll mention is about the memory cards. Um, You don't want to have too big a memory card in the quad. You want to sort of stick with smaller memory cards. I go with 64 gig memory cards or at the biggest 128. The reason for that is heaven forbid something dramatic happens with that quad and it falls out of the sky. Uh, That's a terrible situation. You've lost your quad, but you're also losing all the footage you took that morning. Now, I've been lucky that's never happened to me, but I have friends that have had fatal failures with a quad and had it come down in a tree someplace, and they never found it. And again, as upset they were about not having the quad, not having the footage was a double double whammy for them. So I'd recommend swapping out memory cards, not every battery, but maybe halfway through your day. So you've flown for the morning, you've gone through a couple of batteries, you get back in the car, you're driving to a second location, maybe swap out the memory card at that point, and you know at least the morning's recordings are on that memory card that's now in your pocket, and you've got a fresh memory card in the quad. So that's pretty much it for this topic. Again, I love flying in the wintertime because for me, it's almost like a an otherworldly experience to get up there over locations that I know in the summertime to be beautiful with all the green trees in bloom and have that landscape now be covered in snow with a beautiful sun you know glistening across the top of that snow. It just for me, it's a bit of a poetic thing. I just love getting up in the air and seeing that beautiful landscape underneath my quad and it's it's a joy to fly in those kind of conditions. So I hope you guys get a lot of airtime in the winter. and and you're enjoying your flying, and hopefully these tips will help you. This next topic has to do with posting your videos on YouTube. Most flyers love the fact that we can quickly put a quad up to 200 feet and fly over a beautiful shoreline or a forest we haven't been to before and get this totally unique perspective from above. And we'll take pictures and videos of the area, probably share those with family and friends, and then after a while you start wondering, is that footage good enough or interesting enough to actually post on YouTube? Will people care about it? Will they watch it? The answer to that is absolutely they will. The second situation is after you've flown your quad for a while, you're going to figure stuff out about that particular quad because you've been around it so long that the rest of us don't know about. You're going to figure out an easier way to do something, and I promise you the rest of us are going to be really interested in that. Because remember, a lot of people fly that same quad, and if you've come across the problem or found an easier way to accomplish something, the rest of us are going to want to know about that. Maybe there are thousands of flyers that use that particular quad that are stumbling over the same problems you've figured out. So sit down in front of a camera, turn it on and explain exactly what you've done. And that makes all of us a little smarter. So really it comes down to two types of clips, the flying clips and the educational clips. So let me talk about the flying clips a little bit and what the benefits of those might be for other people on the net. I love watching other people fly a quad because there are areas of the world that I'll never get to, whether it be Europe or New Zealand or Australia or Asia, I may never get to those locations. So having you fly your quad over a beautiful beach in Southeast Asia that I may never get a chance to visit, sort of at least mentally transports me to that area so I can enjoy it as if I were flying that quad. I just love watching those kind of clips. Another way that benefits me is sometimes I'll be traveling to an area and I wanna figure out where I can fly. So watching clips from that particular beach or that area that I'm gonna travel to lets me know what I'm in for and I can find great places to fly based on where you took off and you landed, and it's sort of like a travel guide, I guess I'd call it, for me going to that area and knowing that I can fly in that same beach. So I really enjoy that, not to mention the beauty of it. Some of the quad uh, photos and videos I've seen online are absolutely mind-boggling of how great a quality they are and how beautiful they are. So I really enjoy that in my spare time, watching clips from all over the world and some great flyers capturing some great footage. So please, no matter where you fly, I don't care if you fly in an area you don't think is interesting. Take some of those clips, the best ones you can put together, put them up on YouTube and I guarantee you, people are going to come across them and they're going to enjoy those clips. So you're doing us all a service by posting those type of clips. Now you may not be brave enough at that point to get in front of a camera. And that's okay because you can narrate. So once you put a couple of clips up and you see people watching them, you can turn on narration and you can actually talk over the clip. We don't have to see your face, so if you're bashful, doesn't mean you have to be on camera but you can sort of be off camera explaining where you're flying, explaining what you're doing with the quad and and how you did this particular shot and how it was tricky to get around that that section of rock or cliff or whatever you're filming. Those are all really informative to us that are watching that clip to make us better flyers because I'm constantly looking for new ways and new perspectives when I fly my quad of how I can make my clips better, and I've learned a lot from other flyers out there just by watching their clips and hearing how they did it. The last thing you can do in those clips is really exhibit technique because flying a quad seems like a simple thing and it's really easy to do in a straight line. But if you're trying to circle an object or trying to get the perfect shot with the sun at your back and golden hour, understanding the techniques you've used to get that shot is really important. And what I mean by that is if you're narrating the clip, let me know if you're using a filter and what type of filter you're using. Is it an ND filter? Is it a CPL filter? Tell me what you're using to get that particular shot, roughly the time of day it was, maybe where the sun is. And that's really helpful and informative to other flyers to figure out how they can get those kind of shots in their environment. So all those things are great. All those things benefit the community in general. And they're very positive things to do, not to mention the fact that if we see a good clip, we're going to comment on it. And that feels really good to have other flyers watch that clip and know they've appreciated it by thanking you for posting it. Now, on the educational side, that is as important as the beautiful flying clips that are out there because quads are complicated. <laughs> There's so many quads on the market that for me, it's overwhelming. I fly a lot of different quads, and it's hard for me to know every little nuance of those quads and figure out settings and all the rest of that stuff. So other flyers that may own a particular quad and that's the only one they fly, they're going to be way smarter on that quad than I will be flying six different quads. So I love when people sit down and say, hey, here's something I stumbled over that I had trouble with and here's how I got past it. Those kind of educational clips are like gold on the internet because it's a short way for me to find the answer to a problem I'm having and it just saves me a ton of time what that means for me is I've got more time in the air and less time trying to figure out that problem. So when you sit down, even the simplest of things, put a clip together and explain how you did it, and I guarantee you people are going to flock to that clip and they're going to watch it, and they're going to thank you for putting that clip together. Another clip type that's important on the Internet, and this is something you'll probably get better with over time, is your opinion. Your opinion matters an awful lot because I don't want to trust sort of written opinions on a website. I don't want to trust manufacturers telling me what their product can do. What I care an awful lot about are other flyers' opinions of that quad. So if you're flying a quad, tell me what you love about it, tell me what you don't love about it. It's not like when you tell me bad things about the quad, I may not buy it. It just gives me a chance to understand what the limitations of that technology are so that when I'm buying it, I know that maybe it won't do this thing, but I'm still gonna buy it because it does everything else I need it to do. So opinions are important. I would argue that you don't wanna be too aggressive in those opinions. I know it's a very personal thing, but when you're flying it, again, the things you love, the things that may be a little bit tricky about it are really, really helpful. And when I'm going to buy a quad, I go typically to YouTube or I go to other review sites and I read those reviews. And I spend a lot of time doing that research before I plunk down my hard-earned cash to buy a particular quad. The last type of clip is a little bit more tricky. It's sort of an opinion clip, but it's more of a comparison clip because a lot of new flyers that are entering the hobby want to know, how does this quad compare to that quad? So the comparison clips can be a little bit tricky because you typically have to have both of those quads in front of you. But maybe you've flown a friend's version of that quad and you've got the other quad that you're comparing it to. That's okay too. We don't necessarily need to see both quads in the clip. But if you sit down and you say, look, I flew quad A, I flew quad B, here are the pros and cons of both. That lets a flyer looking at those two quads really do a side-by-side comparison. It really helps them make a decision. So those are all beneficial things. And I know... A lot of people flock to YouTube to make tons of money on it and the rest of it. But for me, it's more about helping other flyers and enjoying the hobby more and just enriching my knowledge of this, uh, this beautiful hobby that we're all involved in. So watching clips from other people about techniques or technologies that makes my day a little bit easier is a great thing. And I watch a lot of clips on YouTube. I, and it doesn't matter to me. I'm not always going to the big YouTubers out there. I've come across channels that maybe have three clips posted. I found an incredibly cool clip on Tello techniques, the new Rise Tello drone. And the gentleman was flying this Tello all over the place, capturing some incredibly cool footage. And I thought to myself, it's a $99 drone. How did you do that with that technology? And I watched those clips and I, I learned a few things about it. And now I'm flying my Tello a little bit better because of it. So I appreciate it. I guarantee you other flyers are going to appreciate it. And my strong recommendation is if you're thinking, are my clips YouTube worthy? I'm going to tell you they absolutely are. Post everything you can online. You're going to love it, and we're going to love it. So make sure you do that. This episode's burning question has to do with bringing a drone on a plane. And we get this question a lot from newer flyers. They want to know, can I bring my drone along with me when I'm on vacation this summer? Maybe they're visiting friends somewhere else in the country. They want to bring the drone along and do some beautiful shots of that area. Now I'm going to answer this from the US perspective because that's where I live, and it does vary a little bit depending on other countries' rules, but in the US the answer is simply you can absolutely bring your drone along with you on vacation. The challenge becomes when you think about what's in that drone, because there are different rules for carry-on baggage versus check baggage, and the simple way to figure out what you can bring with you on the plane versus checking it has to do with the batteries. So pretty much in the US. If you've got rechargeable batteries, lithium polymer or other types of batteries, you have to take those on the plane with you. You can't check those batteries. That means any batteries with your drone, typically your controller because that's got an internal battery on it, you want to pack that with you, take it on the plane, and you're going to be fine. Everything else in your kit, you can check that, and you're going to be okay with that as well. But your batteries have to go on the plane. Now, in addition to that, the batteries can't be gigantic. So there are limits on most airlines today where 100 watt hours is the maximum. So 100 watt hours, you can pretty much bring as many of those as you want with you on vacation. I'm sure if you brought 30 of them with you, you'd probably have some questions at security. So typically it's you know three or four or five. I've even traveled with six batteries. As long as they're for personal use, you're gonna be fine. And it's 100 watt hour maximum. Now larger than that, you can, on some airlines, bring up to two larger batteries. So if you're flying a bigger quad that's over 100 watt-hours, then you can bring two of those with you, typically, with permission. Now, my recommendation is always to get on the website of the airline you're going to fly and check their website for any kind of restrictions, because even though the FAA allows you to bring those batteries on, and it's supposed to be the same rule for everybody, some airlines have different rules that maybe restrict it or expand it, so you can even bring more stuff with you. But always check the airline's website. But the good rule of thumb is... The batteries have to go in your carry-on, you can check everything else in your luggage, and you've got a hundred watt-hour maximum for your batteries. Now in addition to that, if you're bringing those batteries on a plane, you want to make sure they can't be shorted. So typically what you can do is use some electrical tape across the contacts, or better yet, get a battery guard, which are little rubber pieces that fit over those contacts and protect the batteries. So if they're rumbling around inside your bag, they're not gonna short out and cause issues. I also recommend using lipo bags. There are special safety bags that are fire retardant that are pretty much custom made for the size of battery you're bringing along. If you put on a battery guard and slip it inside of a lipo bag, you've taken all the steps you need to to protect that battery. So you're not gonna get grief from TSA or, or the airlines. And those are simple things to do. The battery bags are inexpensive. The battery guards are inexpensive just something that you want to have in your kit the last thing you want to do is make sure your batteries are not fully charged you want to have them down between maybe 20 and 40 percent it varies based on the airlines i've never had anybody question me on that and actually i've traveled a couple of times with my batteries fully charged and haven't gotten any grief for it but just to be safe The less energy in the battery, the less chance there's going to be issues with it. Heaven forbid something goes wonky with that battery. So the rule of thumb would be 30% would be a good number to go for. So just don't charge your batteries before you travel. You'll have plenty of charge in them as you travel. And when you get to your location, you can charge them up and start flying. The last thing I'll recommend, and this is always just something I like to do in case I'm questioned at the airport, is to have um, a listing of the FAA rules with you. And if there's anything specific from your airline that may be different than those FAA rules, have that with you as well. Just print them both out, put them in a folder, throw them in your bag, and you've got them with you. And it's not like you're going to get into a debate with anybody over it, but sometimes you'll be checking through TSA checkpoints, and maybe they're not as familiar with the rules as they should be. And it just saves you time. I mean, for me, it's not a matter of me getting stopped in an airport. It's just a matter of me being delayed in the airport. And I never want to have the stress of maybe missing a flight because a TSA agent has to ask a manager and they have to look it up. So having those printouts with you just shortcuts that whole situation for you. It allows you to sort of answer the questions quickly, show them the documentation, and get you through that airport as fast as possible. The last thing I will warn you about, and this is something that's happened to me twice recently, is the FAA now requires registration for drones that are between 0.55 pounds and 55 pounds, and you're supposed to have their registration number on the drone in a visible place. So it's gotta be either written or on a sticker on the drone. Twice now the TSA agents have asked me for that, which is interesting because it never was a question I was asked before, but I guess they're aware of the new ruling, and if you're trying to get through an airport with a drone that's unregistered, I don't know if it's going to be a hassle for you because I've registered my drones and I have the numbers on them, but they did say, where's the registration number, and I flipped the drone over and showed them where the registration number was, so just something else to you know, eliminate the hassle going through the airport. It costs you $5 to register the drone. It'll take you less than 60 seconds on the website to get that done. So uh, definitely register your drones and that'll take that hassle away. But other than that, take your drone with you. I mean, I travel a lot and I take, I usually have a drone with me everywhere I go and just love going to new locations and putting that thing up and capturing some amazing footage of, you know, a new shoreline or a forest or some other landscape that I haven't seen before from the air. It's just a wonderful thing. And if you're a hobbyist like me and you love flying, Um, why not fly in a new area, right? It's just a great thing to do. So don't worry about taking it along. Just follow these simple rules and you'll be in really good shape. Okay, that's it for this episode. So hopefully you found this information helpful. I'm having a lot of fun doing these. I hope you guys are enjoying them. Uh, If you like the way we're going with these podcasts, make sure you give us a thumbs up and let us know your comments. Uh, If you have questions you want to have answered in future podcasts, you can send us an email at podcast at dronevalley.com. And we'll collect up all those questions and we'll answer them in a future podcast. And again, thanks so much for watching. This is kind of a new experiment for us, but uh, I'm having a lot of fun doing it, like I said, and hopefully we can do more of these. So thanks again, and we'll see you soon. Until then, happy flying.